Josh Easton here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 22nd of November, 2021, the 18th of Kislev, 5782. Coming to you from Gush Etzion, Judea, Israel, just south of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the Jewish people and state of Israel. And it's a difficult day here in Israel with the terrorist murder of 26-year-old Eliyahu David Kay, a new immigrant in Olaf from South Africa who was murdered with four other Israelis wounded in a terror attack carried out by a, an Islamist, a jihadist in the old city of Jerusalem early Sunday morning as Kay and several others were making their way to the Western Wall for morning prayers. And here we are again, folks. It's each and every time this happens, it just opens up the wounds from the previous attacks and makes you realize that this is not going away. Our enemies are determined to throw us out of the land of Israel. That won't happen. We have to continue to be strong against our enemies. But it's very, very difficult with the funeral here just a few hours away in Jerusalem of a 26-year-old warrior who made Aliyah on his own and joined the IDF Paratroopers Division, was engaged to be married and was gunned down in cold blood by a murdering, by a murderous terrorist whose goal was to kill Jews, who preached an ideology of hatred of Jews in the state of Israel. And he was known, he was known for his views. He was known to be a fixture from what I understand at the Temple Mount. Apparently the terrorists even sent his family away several days before out of the country knowing in preparation that he was going to carry out this murderous attack. Thank God, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Thank God for our emergency personnel, our soldiers, border police who killed the terrorist, but not before he was successful in murdering 26-year-old Eliyahu David Kay. Another Israeli is in serious condition. Uh, and several others were wounded. Um, difficult, difficult day. Difficult day. He was also Eliyahu Kay. Shemi Komdamo was also a tour guide at the Western Wall um, Tunnels. And just a lot of different stories coming out now about what a special person he was. You could probably dedicate a whole show just talking about what a special person he was. And I'm seeing things both on social media. And it's such a small world here in Israel. People you know who were relatives of Eliyahu Kay or friends of his or served with him in the army. It's just such a small world. And each and every one of these terror attacks... You don't have to go very far in this tiny country of ours to find somebody who knew or was friends with 
or as a relative of the person who was murdered in the in the attack and i'm just as i'm talking i'm just seeing the images in my head from the scene there i was in jerusalem yesterday and heard the sirens the images of the workers in the old city having to wash the blood on the cobblestone streets of jerusalem washing the blood down down the drain cleaning the streets just the red and the blood and the images very hard to speak this morning but um unfortunately that is that is our reality it's been like that since the beginning of time and it continues here today several thousand years later with people still trying to murder Jews simply because they are Jews. Again, amongst those who were wounded, Rabbi Zev Katzenelbogen, a father of eight who lives in the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem, two border police troops, and prayers are needed for Rabbi Aaron Emmergreen, a 26-year-old who was married in serious condition and from what I understand underwent surgery several surgeries last night so let's have him in mind i don't have his full name in front of me but it's rabbi aaron emmergreen who needs our prayers according to the jewish press police boosting their forces in the city in jerusalem in fear of in fear of further attacks just four days ago make that five days now an arab terrorist stabbed two border police troops in the old city as well, wounding one of them moderately and the other lightly, and the terrorist was shot dead in that attack. So here we're seeing another wave, one of many, many waves of Islamic jihadist violence targeting Jews in our capital, in Jerusalem. And in addition to that, I don't know how many different reports of... Um, of stoning attempts and firebomb attempts and attacks which took place last night and there were several people who were lightly wounded and those attacks on our roads here i think a bus was targeted near malaya dumim the driver were lightly lightly wounded i know that firebombs were thrown here in gush Etzion, targeting the community of migdal oz and other attacks throughout judea and samaria so difficult, difficult time here in Israel. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett on Sunday during the weekly cabinet meeting said that this is, the quote, this is the second recent terrorist attack in Jerusalem. I've directed the security forces to prepare accordingly and be alert. Also over concern for copycat attacks. We need to be on heightened alert and prevent future attacks. So that is the story here from Israel. Um, at the same time as that happened, on the same day, the Israeli police on Sunday afternoon arrested an Arab resident of the town of Jenin after he stabbed and moderately injured an Israeli man in the city of Jaffa, Yafo, near Tel Aviv, which looks like that was also a terror attack as well. A victim evacuated in moderate condition with several stab wounds. So the terrorist in that case was arrested in Israeli moderate condition who was minding his own business and walking in the city of Jaffa. 
So there you have two major attacks yesterday in addition to all of those uh, minor attacks. Um, I mean, they're not minor. If you're the one who's getting rocks thrown at your car, the trauma from that, I've gone through that. That's not a lot of fun. So many a terror attacks yesterday. Perpetrator behind the, the Jerusalem shooting yesterday. I'm not even going to say his name, but according to the Jerusalem Post, those that knew him were not surprised to hear he was the terrorist who carried out the attack. Described by his friends as a so-called Islamic scholar, the 42-year-old, a well-known preacher in mosques, including Alaska Mosque. Others referred to him as a senior Hamas official in Jerusalem. Not clear if he was officially with Hamas, but what, what does it really matter? But he preached hatred of Israel, social media, um, videos on social media show him chanting slogans against Israel, praising Arab prisoners, urging Muslims to fight to carry out violent attacks against Israelis. So no one is uh, no one is surprised by this. Anyway, uh, moving on, but not really moving on. Um, Times of Israel reports that the United Kingdom made a decision on Friday to designate the entirety of Hamas as a terror organization and outlaw support for the group, which they say is a major blow for Hamas, which carries out significant fundraising in the UK, according to a Channel 13 report. So... This is what I don't understand. I don't understand why it would take till now to label all of Hamas a terror organization. Why would it take so long? Okay, it's good that they did it, but why would it take so long? Why is there ever a distinction between the evil Hamas terrorists who actually shoot the guns and blow up pizza parlors and those who lead the organization? The only difference is that those who lead the organization, the terror group, they wear suits. Okay, there's no difference between a political wing and a military wing. That is nonsense. Don't know why it took the UK, and I don't know which other countries around the world have them labeled separately, one being a terror organization and one being a legitimate political group, which is nonsense. So I welcome this move, but come on, give me a break. Anyone who tries to claim the political wing and military wing are separate, have lost their moral compass, should not have taken the UK this long and, the, and they, there should never have been a distinction for the different branches of Hamas. Absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, the same goes, by the way, for Hezbollah. There are countries who only label Hezbollah's military wing as a terror group, but those who actually fund and support Hezbollah and lead the organization are somehow considered to be legitimate political actors. So... That's our crazy world. Um, switching to Iran now, the Jerusalem Post reported the other day that the massive protest unfolding, I think this was from Friday, in the Iranian city of Isfahan against worsening economic conditions and water shortages, water shortages contained boos against the country's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, and opposition to Iran's 
pro-Palestinian policies in the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. So here you have Iranians who are chanting against the mullahs in Iran, against uh, funding of Hamas while they can't have enough water to drink. The London-based news organization called Iran International showed video footage of Iranians expressing disgust with the rule of Khamenei and the clerics who govern over the theocratic state. The video shows protesters booing when the speaker wishes health for Ali Khamenei, tweeted Iran International, adding in another tweet that thousands of Iranian people have joined the protest gathering of farmers to voice their anger after the city's lifeblood river dried up. So here you have Iranians who are against the regime. And these are people, these are the people that the world should, should support. Okay, the Biden administration should not be bolstering this corrupt and terror-sponsoring evil regime in Tehran, who, by the way, is pursuing nuclear weapons. You should support those who want the mullahs out of there. Don't give that government legitimacy. Their own people don't want them there. And they are hurting their own people. And there are thousands, according to this report, and we've seen it before, thousands who are against this government and their evil ways and the fact that they divert resources to Hamas instead of thinking about their own people. It seems, I mean, it seems so simple, yet the U.S. and others are trying, the current U.S. administration are trying to bolster the Iran, uh, bolster Iran when they should be bolstering the Iranian people. It's idiotic. They're begging. The Biden administration essentially is begging Iran to come back to the bad nuclear deal, which would be bad for Israel. It's bad either way, whether they're in the deal or out of the deal. But the weakness and the support that the U.S. is, they're begging to support the Iranian regime. Instead of, why don't you support these people here? Support the people who want the regime gone. That's where the support should go. But in a crazy world uh, we live in right now. We spoke in detail about the U.S. Biden administration wanting to open a consulate for the Palestinian Authority in Jerusalem. We talked about it in length, I think, two weeks ago. Um, JTA reports that Jewish Republicans are leading efforts to stop the opening of the U.S. consulate. Two Jewish Republicans in the U.S. House in Congress are leading efforts to keep the Biden administration from reopening the U.S. consulate. David Kustoff from Tennessee introduced a bill last week that would block the Biden administration from reopening the consulate, according to Jewish Insider. His bill has the backing of the GOP leadership and about 100 co-sponsors, including Senator Bill Haggerty, also from Tennessee. I, I don't know how... I don't know how the system works, honestly. I don't know if these bills are binding. Um, I know it's illegal for the U.S. to open a consulate, a Palestinian Authority consulate in Jerusalem under both U.S. law, Israeli law, and international law. That I know. But I don't know in terms of the effectiveness. Maybe somebody out there can explain it to me, the effectiveness of these bills, if they can actually legally, even though it's already illegal for them to do it, but can they legally stop 
the Biden administration? Are they even needed? But if they are, then let's hope that uh, many more members of Congress get behind these bills. Um, this one in particular says that opening a separate consulate undermines Israel's claim on Jerusalem as its capital. Reopening the consulate now, especially if it is in the building used in recent years in Western Jerusalem, territory the U.S. recognizes as sovereign Israel would require the assent of the Israeli government. So that says it says that in the bill, and that is a, a known fact. Uh, let's see if these bills can actually do something. Uh, Republicans, of course, are the minority in the House and Senate. But according to this report, that does not necessarily doom the bill. At least two House Democrats... Juan Vargas of California and Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey has, of New Jersey have expressed reservations about the consulate move. So it looks like perhaps that there there is some support from the Democrats against the consulate move. Basically, you know, you could say it's symbolic, but honestly, it's it's a step in the wrong direction. It's a step towards dividing Jerusalem, and that's really the purpose of opening a consulate for a foreign entity in Israel's capital, whether it's to undo all the accomplishments of Donald Trump or whether they are or whether they believe this is the way forward for peace, which absolutely is not the way forward. That is what the Biden administration intends to do as of now. Our weekly anti-Semitism report comes to you from Brazil. Also, the JTA reporting that a journalist working for one of Brazil's largest broadcasters, he has now apologized for saying on air that the only way his country could match Germany's wealth is by killing its Jews. This is not the onion. This is something he said. This Jose Carlos Ber Bernardi, is that his name? A pundit for a radio and television station. He made these comments um, about a visit by former Brazilian president Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva to Germany. Asked by a journalist how Brazil could attain the economic development enjoyed by Germany, Bernardi's comment was, only by attacking Jews will we get there. If we kill a gazillion Jews and appropriate their economic power, then Brazil will get rich. That's what happened with Germany after the war. He somehow apologized for this, said, no, I didn't really mean that. I meant something else. I meant blah, blah, blah. Who cares? He's full of it. <laughs> he said that, Killing Brazil's Jews was the way to move forward for economic success and progress in Brazil. A journalist actually said that. And that is our weekly anti-Semitism report. I'm sure there are many other stories, but this one is just off the charts. Absolutely off the charts. and But not surprising, folks. Not surprising in this crazy world of ours. Back here on the, on the home front, uh, Times of Israel reports that um, parents are being urged to vaccinate their children when the coronavirus inoculations become available to kids here in Israel later this week, kids aged 5 to 11. A lot of different opinions here. I know I'm sure many of you out there have a lot of, uh, have a stance on whether children of that age, 5 to 11, should be vaccinated Prime Minister, I'm just giving you the news, folks. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said Sunday morning that Israel was facing a possible virus outbreak among the younger population. He is encouraging parents to vaccinate their children. 
between the ages of 5 and 11. The first shipment of the kid-sized Pfizer doses arrived in Israel. There was also controversy about that because the doses arrived on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, and one rabbi said that those doses cannot be used because there was a violation of Shabbat. Other rabbis said that's crazy. Uh, this is for health reasons, and you should not pay attention to when the vaccines arrived in Israel. So different opinions there amongst the rabbis, not even having to do with health, maybe spiritual health. But um, you have two different sides there as if the vaccines can be. No, this is true. This is a real story. If the vaccines can be used because they arrived on Shabbat. And again, the argument on the other side is, well, this could save lives. Therefore, there's no problem for the vaccine to arrive. Again, for those who believe in vaccines, I know many people are, are against. It's a very sensitive issue about uh, whether you should be vaccinated or not. I have plenty of friends in the medical field who absolutely say it's a no-brainer who work in the hospitals in terms of the vaccines. Um, uh, the R number here in Israel, by the way, the figure which represents the number of people each confirmed patient infects on average is now over one here in Israel, signifying the infection is expanding. So we'll have to pay attention to that and see where things are in terms of, I mean, I thought we were done with this so-called fourth wave, but I don't know. I don't know if a fifth wave is on the way, if we're still in the fourth wave, what the restrictions are. It's all very confusing. Can you come to Israel? Can you visit Israel? Are the skies open? What are the, you know, what are the rules? And they change like on a daily basis. But anyway, that is the story on coronavirus here in Israel. And as always, finishing up with something positive on this very difficult day here where we are just in a, you know, it's 10.15. I'm recording 10.15 in the morning. 12.30 is the funeral for Eliyahu David K. Hashem Yekom Damo, the lone soldier. So it's a difficult day to be thinking about anything else. But let's finish on a positive note as we try to do every week on the show. Israel 21C reports on an Israeli startup which has developed an ice brick that can be installed in commercial and industrial buildings to store solar energy for space cooling. Storing solar energy, says the article, between sunset and sunrise is a huge challenge. Israeli startup Nostromo Energy, Nostromo Energy, I think that's how it's pronounced, N-O-S-T, R-O-M-O decided to meet that challenge by using an unlikely substance, water, installed on the roof, basement, or walls of commercial and industrial buildings. The company's ice brick, that's what it's called, stores energy in ice capsules and directs it to commercial space cooling, which accounts for up to 45% of global power demand during peak hours. According to this report, again, Israel 21C, the company... Nostromo announced a 20-year agreement with the Hilton Beverly Hills to install a 1.5-megawatt system serving the Hilton and the adjacent Waldorf Astoria. The point is, Israeli technology, in this case, to store solar energy being used already in hotels in the U.S. and I'm sure in other places around the world. If you are, let's put it out there, if you are a BDS Israel hater, 
do not go to the Hilton Beverly Hills and stay there because they're utilizing Israeli technology. Do not go to the Beverly Hills Waldorf Astoria. Don't be a hypocrite because these people recognize the ingenuity being manufactured here in the state of Israel, exported to the world, making the world a better place. Don't be a hypocrite, folks. If you're going to hate on Israel, then go all out, okay? You don't want to be seen as a traitor to your fellow Israel haters and you BDS haters. You don't want to be seen as a traitor. So while you're not visiting the Hilton Beverly Hills, don't forget to throw away your cell phone, your computer, and all your other um, technological gear and agritech and health and all the other things that Israel contributes to around the world. Don't use any of it because you will be a hypocrite. And on that note, on this very difficult day, um, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks to Benjamin Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein, for everything she does behind the scenes. My name is Josh Haston. Um, this has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Get in touch with me during the week. Thank you for your emails, Josh at thelandofisrael.com. Facebook, Joshua Haston or Josh Haston, Israel Advocacy and Journalism on Twitter at Josh Haston and now, and now on Instagram as well. Let's hope for a better week and better times ahead and everyone out there wherever you are in the wonderful world of ours be safe coming to you from Gush Etzion, Israel we're not going anywhere folks they can try to hurt us they can kill us they can try we are strong we have an army we have security forces we're stronger than we have been over the last 2,000 years here in the Jewish state of Israel. We're not going anywhere, even with all the terrible news. We are here to stay. And let's leave on that note. Have a great week, everybody. Shalom, shalom. Israel's weekend raid to rescue more than 100 hostages from hijackers at Enabe Airport in Uganda has been hailed as audacious and as a blow to terrorists around the world. This week on The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer. Raid on Antebi, the inside story of Yonatan Netanyahu and the rescue of hostages in 1976. Sometimes, said Yoni Netanyahu, it is good to believe that a man is a giant, a force before whom nothing can stand. For more on Jewish history, tune in to The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.